want to have your um, Twitter going. You there, Chris? You there, Chris? Are you going to have your Twitter going as well? Hello, welcome to a special episode of the Rich and Big Free Tiger Cast. We've uh, got the first qualifying final coming up this weekend, and we thought we, we would kick that off with a bang and get a very special guest on. He played 54 games and kicked 38 goals for the Tigers. He wore the number 15. He was a, a giant ruckman and uh, almost jagged a Brownlow as well. Justin Charles, welcome to the show, mate. Hey, Chris. How are you going? Good, mate. Yourself? Lovely, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. No, you're most welcome. So, I mean, there might be a lot of people maybe a little bit Better younger than me that might not remember you. Yeah, well, no, we, we, won't, we won't go there. No, you, um, you're a competitive beast, to, to say the least, weren't you, back in the day? Uh, uh, yes, I, I, uh, I loved it. Um, and I, I feel that was probably the, the strong suit of my game, is to, is to win, my, win my football when it was time to go. And... Um, in fact, probably not much else. <laughs> no, but uh, in, in the end, sort of built my game around the one percenters, tackling, shepherding, and spoiling, and whatever came off that was uh, uh, was a bonus. And and yeah, that's probably accurate to say that I was competitive. Yeah, pretty good goal kicker as well. Thirty eight goals for a ruckman. I mean, not many ruckmen these days would kick that many in their career. <laughs> um, well. My dad always told me come up, that uh, if you're always in the scoring, if, you, if you're kicking a goal or two every week, it's hard to leave you out of the team, which is pretty accurate, isn't it? It, it probably cost Soldo uh, a chole in the end. You know, if, if he had been continuing kicking his uh, goal a week, he's very difficult to drop. So yeah. I tried to make sure uh, I didn't get a lot of shots at goal, so I had to make the most of uh, the ones that I did get. It's a pretty straightforward philosophy when you think about it, and one that still rings true today. 100%. It's... um. Like the coach, you know, the coaching staff and the selectors will, you know, that they know they've got to kick on or around 100 points a game. And, and, you know, so they go through and they say, well, where are those goals going to come from? Yeah. And if your name keeps bobbing up, then, you know, you have to factor in the equation. So solid philosophy. (laughs) Out of interest, when you were playing, obviously the sports science wasn't around like it is today. Uh, In terms of training loads, how many shots per goal were you guys taking per week, per night, because you hear Jake Rewald, and I think it was on AFL 360, say they might only take 40 shots a week. I think that's crazy for this day and age. Uh, oh, I, look, um, the sports science, uh, like, we, it was it was pretty, um, well, state-of-the-art for the, for the time. Obviously not what it was, um, you know, well, what, what it is now. Pardon me. Um... But uh, look, if you're taking 40 shots a week, that should be enough. That should be that is enough because it's quality over quantity. But it depends what, um, you know, what are the what are the parameters around the shots that you're taking? Are you putting pressure on yourself, or are you just working technique? I think you know there's there's scope to just be working on your technique, um, but also you've got to be taking uh, shots under simulated game pressure. So that means people watching, you know, so whoever you got there and, and make it competitive. Um, I, I, I'd be questioning how many of those shots you're taking in, in a contest versus someone or, you know, replicating game-type pressure as best that you can. I think I heard somewhere a little while ago that Rewalt once 
would train for goal kicking with like um, ear, earphones in with crowd simulated noise. Right, right, right. Well, that's arguably why he's one of the better goal kickers. I would say that's. I mean, I wish I had a thought of that. I mean, that's a that's just a fantastic idea. Um, I used to I used to say to myself, I used to make up and look. I, I thought I was a pretty good set shot for goal. I was pretty reliable. Um, but when I practiced my goal kicking, every one I'd be, I'd say to myself, um, right, the siren's gone. You know, we're five points down and need this to kick it. And uh, and when I kicked it, you know, celebrate it like I did win the game. Yeah, um, right. Okay. A lot of people thought I was nuts. <laughs> You're probably right. But it's 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 that kind of thing. And I mean, that's that's elite. That just goes to show, you know, I don't know who who suggested that to Jack or if he read it somewhere or if he came up with it himself, but that's a fantastic idea. I wonder yeah. if he's doing it now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if um, if he's still sticking with that technique or not, because you're right, you've got to do it under as, as much real pressure as possible because there's no point doing it in a dead quiet field with no one jumping up and down the mark and just all those small things, isn't it? They all just add up. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and with the, you're replicating the noise, which is great. Any Any of the senses that you can engage that you would on game day, um, you know, that's what you want to be trying to do. And um, it's a, look, that says, look, I don't know how you feel about Jack's goal kicking. Look, he's missed a, a couple of few, you know, over a few weeks, but he's a pretty reliable shot, isn't he? He is. I mean, you look at the first quarter from the game against the Lions and he was pretty dead on, but you're right. I mean, the last few weeks coming back from injury, he's been a little bit rusty. We can all forgive him for that because he's such a champion of the club, but I think he's found his mojo again. 100%. And, don't underestimate what Tom Lynch was doing in that as well. Um, you, you, I'm just really in love with, and we've got everything we paid for in Tom Lynch and, and how, you know, you get two characters like that in the forward line. It can be a bit of a pissing contest and, you know, bumping egos and stuff, but they've they've gone the other way. They've been really selfless. And, you know, since putting the two in the team, they really work for each other um, and create space and block and, um, you know, when, when it was just Tom Lynch, you know, he's getting double teamed a lot. And now yeah. you can't do that. You just can't do that because they're both equally as damaging. Um, I'd, I'd like to see uh, Lynch sort of convert a bit more. You know, he's been a little bit... Um, imagine if he had been a little bit greater this year. Yeah, you know? I think it was the West Coast game. I think he missed a couple of easy ones early on and they were sort of uncharacteristic. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's, he's been fantastic. And I think the one thing that's been noticeable with him is as he's gone on, he's been able to get more fitness in and he could actually train. Because people forget he didn't train pretty much the first you know five, six months because of his knee. That he's um, really coming into his own now. And I think he looks like the kind of player who's going to thrive in September action. Look... All of that, all of what you've said, and and it just goes to you know say something about the character of Tom Lynch. I mean, it's okay to go after star players, but you know Richmond tend to, in this evolution that we're watching now, they tend to go after the players of really good character, and and that just says about Tom Lynch. You know, playing playing hurt, uh, and you got to do that as a player. You, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be out for you know a broken fingernail and you know, you're going to miss a lot of games. But um, credit to Lynch, he's played every single game. And that's no mean feat, man. That's It's a tough game. You're getting well, beat up every week. And- yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I might be wrong, but I've always felt like if Jack didn't have that injury, I feel like Tom would have been rested for a few games just to manage his load. But for him to step up and play every game, same as Prestia, I mean, those two were probably um, injury maligned, I guess, when we picked him up. We, there was known injury issues. Uh, and our medical guys have just been sensational in keeping them on the park. 
look, all of that, I, I can't agree with that more. Um, you know, there's so many boxes that the Richmond Football Club are ticking at the moment. I mean, you know, that's okay for us to say because we're parochial, but, like, really, that's why when I get on Twitter and I'm so cocky about our chances, this, these are the reasons why. Um, you know, we've got a fantastic medical staff, but we've got a list full of players that are athletes, they're very professional, and they've got great character. And um, I interviewed uh, Will Thursfield, one of our uh, um, recruiting guys at, at the uh, Richmond Executive, and um, asked him the question, you know, Dimmer talks about us having a really good idea of what a Richmond player looks like. And I asked him about that. And he said, well, number one, they've got to be athletic. And number two, they've got to be of good character. And uh, he, he just expanded on, on that, uh, you know, that character aspect and, you know, that, that, that shows up with how they treat the little people, how they treat their mum and dad, how they treat the, the trainers, how they treat the, you know, the property steward. And, um, you know, these kids are of wonderful high quality of, of character. You know, the, the, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen a, a Richmond player in the news for doing something, uh, you know, untoward or unsociable. There was a bit of footage, I think it was against the Adelaide Crows this year, I don't know the exact scenario, but it revolved around Walker dropped a bit of rubbish or a bit of tape or something like that, and Nathan Broad was nearby, went and picked it up, uh, yeah. just as if it was a nothing, and it, that seems like a small thing, but it really fits into what you just explained then. Yeah, and, and totally led by Trent Cochin. I know, um, you know, Chris, we, we spoke about Trent today in our conversation earlier, um, just about how what a high quality just person that he is um and and when you got guys like that and benny gale and peggy and and koch as leaders and dimmer you know these guys that are setting such a high standard um you know it, it creates an environment for everybody you know to do the same and when you're picking guys of good character they it's easy for them to slot in and and that's what we're seeing so yeah that's a that's a, a good observation there it hasn't just been him. I mean, I think Ivan Maric kind of was doing that when he was playing as well. Um, even, I don't know if you caught wind of the story the other week um, that Daisy Pierce released about a member yeah. who was, yeah, couldn't, lost his yeah. tickets or whatever, and Koch went and printed off two tickets for him. Like, how many people, how many yeah. captains would know how to do that? I know, right? He goes into the computer and it was no trouble for him, you know, and, and it was no trouble for him. He, he recognised, which is flattering for Daisy Pierce. I mean, you know, you, you can imagine, you know, she's a, She's a woman trying to make her way in in the man's world of football, and uh, and Koch just acknowledges her her importance and and for her self image and her self esteem. That's just a real boost for a, a captain of a club to you know treat her so graciously. And and then while she's there, you know, have that supporter come up and say, "I've left my membership tickets." He goes, "Oh, just wait right there." <laughs> and he bangs off, goes into the computer and bangs off two unbelievable. Two yeah, he's he's a he's a beauty. He's just a beauty. I, I love, I've got a man crush on him, like you wouldn't believe. So. <laughs> yeah, I reckon there, there might have been a kilometre long line outside the the doors of Punt Road, <laughs> all trying to get a ticket the following week from the skipper. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, and and also why I love him as well is he he married a good friend of mine, uh, his daughter Rick Kennedy, who was captain of the club when I was at the Bulldogs, uh, and Rick Kennedy's just a, a fantastic fella. So. Um, you know, it's it's good to see him looking after a friend of mine's daughter. Yeah, no, they're a very good family. Now, we have got you on the talk about the Brisbane game, but we do have to talk about yourself first because you, you were a former <laughs> Tiger and you played some great footy for us. You came Thank across you. to us 
we picked you up in the 1994 draft after you took a year off. Now, that year off, how did that kind of come about and was it really beneficial for you to, to then come back to footy after that, after you had a crack at the baseball? Yeah, good question, Chris. So I grew up... Um, I'm not ashamed of, about saying this, but I, I, I feel so much of a tiger now that it's... Uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, and I guess I appreciate being a tiger even more because of my journey. Um, I grew up a bulldog supporter. I grew up in the western suburbs uh, in Williamstown, and, and my dad played for the bulldogs <clears throat> in the 60s, and and my uncle played there as well. So I was balls deep into uh, into the bulldogs and, and was lucky enough to play there as a young supporter. And um, in 93, uh, Terry Wheeler was going to trade me to Fitzroy for Richard Osborne and some draft picks. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go. I, you know, I was heartbroken. Um, and uh, I didn't want to go. And uh, so I quit. And I had the opportunity, because I always played baseball in the off-season. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to uh, play professionally with the Florida Marlins. So I took that. And, all, I mean, because uh, summer baseball season in America is our football season, I was never able to take that opportunity. And so because of I was heartbroken and, you know, didn't want to leave the Bulldogs. Um, I chose to quit and took up that opportunity to play with the Florida Marlins. And uh, I went over and, and I had no intentions of coming back. I had every intention of staying over there and, uh, and and trying to make the major leagues in, in baseball. And uh, turns out I was nowhere near good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was nowhere near good enough and it only took me a season to work that out. And, uh, and so I came back and, and luckily there was some interest from other clubs um, before I entered the draft, and Richmond were one of those. And um, uh, look, even back then, they were a, they were a classy club. Uh, you know, they just made me feel really special. And um, you know, they did their research on me. And Mick Malthouse and and Francis Burke gave me a, a glowing reference, which was really nice. Uh, Mick Malthouse was the coach of the West Coast Eagles at the time, and um, you know, he referred me as well. And you know, compared to some of the other clubs that I spoke to, you know, they just were nowhere near as professional. Um, although I must give an honourable mention to uh, St Kilda, Stan Elves. He is a ripping bloke. I, he, he was, he would have been a great coach to play for as well, but mm-hmm. they got rid of him early and uh, I would have been stuck at a shit club <laughs> without, <laughs> without the coach that I actually went for. Um, you know, because Stan Elves, he is just a wonderful, wonderful man, a great leader of men ahead of the game. He was probably too ahead of the game and he, he put a few noses out of joint perhaps with his uh, out-of-the-box thinking. And um, But he would have been a terrific coach to play for. And um, what was it like uh, coming back to another club after already playing um, in the AFL? Did, it, did you have, feel like you had to work any harder to gain respect and trust from teammates and coaches? Or was it easy yeah. because they already sort of, you were a known quantity as such? No, no, you're right. I, I felt... Uh, Look, it was such an honour and privilege to get picked up by Richmond, man. You've got to understand, you know, coming from a small market club to arguably the biggest market club in the whole comp. Um, and just, I mean, just the calibre of person. I mean, even though, you know, we struggled for results, um, we were kind of fighting against, you know, the spectre of unsuccess, you know, and, and there was little tolerance for, for development. You know, we needed to be successful, like, straight away. And I actually felt we had the team to actually win a premiership or two with the group that we had. But in answer to your question, yeah, I, I felt like I had to work really hard um, 
and I did work really hard to gain the respect and trust of not only my teammates but the coach, you know, John Northey, as it was at the time. And man, he was fantastic. John Northey was is one of the best coaches that I've had. And but so too was Robert Walls. You know, um, I was very I've been very blessed. I've had some fantastic coaches that you'd you'd die for. And um, Swooper and, and Wolsey were certainly two of those. And you played 17 games in your first year with us. It must have been a good feeling to have that consistent game time because you, you probably weren't getting as many games as you would have liked at the Bulldogs. Mm. Um, yep, and uh, there was reasons for that too. I, I, like I, I matured a lot um, and uh, I worked out somewhere in between the Bulldogs and Richmond that my career was my responsibility and you know I probably fell into the trap of uh, blaming the coach and, um, you know, blaming external factors rather than taking responsibility for my own results. Because in the end of the day, at the end of the day, players pick themselves. Like, you, you'll play when you kick the friggin' door down, right? Yeah. And so, and that's basically what I did. I, I kicked the door down. I played better than the comp that I was playing in, which was the reserves. Um, I dominated that level. And when you dom- when you play like an AFL player in the reserves, there's only one way. There's only one place for you, um, and you just, you know, you don't even have to squeal. You don't have to complain. You don't. You just let your 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 actions and your results speak for you on your behalf. And I was really lucky, or not lucky. I, I deserved it. I worked really hard, but I smashed them in my first two games of, of VFL uh, back then reserves footy. Yeah. And um, you know. Week three, they put me into the team, and um, they saw that I meant business. And um, you know, I, I feel I really established myself as a senior player at Richmond. One of the games I have to ask you about, and I've asked Scotty Turner about this game as well: the 1995 semi-final against Essendon. Yes. Such an iconic game for Richmond supporters um, who will remember it very well. Five goals down at half time. What on earth did John Norley say to you guys to get that kind of response? Yeah, good one. So, so this is really interesting. Um, that particular game, uh, Essendon sort of jumped us a little bit. Back then, five goals, pretty significant, particularly yeah. the final. Um, and we, we sort of hung in there through some pretty outstanding individual efforts by Matty Knights and a, and a few others. And um, in fairness, um, bef- just before half time. There was about five or six guys. Uh, I think Essendon were taking a shot for goal, and this is about a couple of minutes before half time. And um, while there was sort of a break in play while the guy was lining up the shot for goal, there was maybe half a dozen Essendon players with cramp on the ground, stretching out their calves because they, they were cramping up. And Benny Gale noticed this and started running around screaming, They're fucked, they're fucked, have a look at them. <laughs> <laughs> They're gone. They're gone. They're fucked. You know, and running around and pointing at their heads, you know, and, and we sort of took strength from that um, coming in because they had a, I think they played the West Coast Eagles the week before. And so they had travel and dehydration issues and they expended a lot of energy in that first half. So we go in at half time and look, Swooper was exasperated and the, the credit for the moves has to go to Kevin Morris. Um, Kevin was a strategic genius um, and unlucky not to become the Richmond coach after Swoop. Very stiff. Um, I had a great relationship with Kevin Morris too. He was a fantastic footy thinker. 
Um, and he threw Nick Daffy into the centre, Scotty Turner up forward, and the rest of the say say is history. <laughs> and it was it was kind of like we were down, but we weren't out. Um, you, you know, and we, I, I guess we weren't prepared to to have our season end right there. And there was a, just a knowing in the group, and and just throwing the team around a little bit, putting Nick Daffy into the middle. I think he had about five or six clearances in the next quarter, and Scotty Turner was just running amok. He was up and about after putting uh, Gary O'Donnell's head into the southern stand. <laughs> yeah, did you get <laughs> a good that, view of that one? I did. Oh my god! Like that sound is. Uh, etched in my head but also in that game too earlier in the year Grenvold um got Stewie Maxfield and 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 hurt him pretty bad and and Stu Maxfield absolutely lined him up and broke his jaw uh with a fair hip and shoulder um but he just he put him into the member stand so <laughs> you know we physically uh really served it up to him so still serves as a great memory it does, okay. and how exciting was it to be just participating in a final series against a big club like Essendon? It was huge. Um, I played a few fin- I played a preliminary final with the Bulldogs too against Geelong. Played in front of ninety thousand, um, and uh, you know that was pretty huge. But to, it's different when you play with Richmond against a big team. I mean, yep. that was it was phenomenal. It's just another level. Can't explain, but the energy and the intensity is just, uh, you know, at, at, at a, you know, it's another galaxy. And you, you carried on your form from 95 into 96, which would be your career best year, I think it's fair to say, playing all 22 games, establish yourself in the AFL um, as a, you know, really powerful figure. What was the driving factor? What changed in the off-season to really, you know, hit your stride and, and produce that kind of football? Mm. So that was um, John Northey had left the club and Robert Walls, um took over and that was um really disappointing um because i felt for all those factors that you mentioned earlier that i worked really hard to establish a a relationship and and respect and rapport with with john northey uh and now i'd have to start all over again after only 12 months um so i was shattered that john left and um but it turned you know these things it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because wolsey was coming in on a blank slate um, and he just saw how hard I worked because uh, I was, you know, working really hard to establish myself um, as a as a regular first player. And Wolsey just acknowledged that and really encouraged me and gave me a lot of self belief. And um, I had an extraordinary preseason. Like my work rate was really really good. Um, and it was by then it was probably about my you know seventh preseason. You know, sixth or seventh pre-season and the work accumulates um you know i was getting into my you know i was 25 26 years old so as a as a ruckman you're a you know a key forward ruckman you know the big blokes tend to develop later and i was sort of hitting that prime you know 26 you know 25 to 28 year old um window where you know your physicality starts to really blossom and um, I had an extraordinary preseason, and uh, all the match practice, um, my confidence was just through the roof. And I, I just had this knowing that I can, you know, I can more than compete. I can actually, I could be a, you know, a, a key player at the at the level. And uh, Walsey just kept giving me the uh, the opportunity to perform. And that you did. You, you polled seventeen votes in the Brownlow, finishing third behind Vossie and Hurd. 
pretty Ooh. impressive effort. I mean, did you feel like you were going to poll well? And what were you doing on that night? <laughs> uh these are these are really good questions, man. Because I'm just reliving really fondly. Um, I I knew like it was a great season, and I knew it. Um, and it, how it my focus was on the one percenters, and I felt that if I could focus on my shepherding, blocking, um, tackling, spoiling, that I would get to enough football to you know really impact a game. And the more I the more I gave to the team, the more you know, like I didn't have to spoil every time. Uh, I got into a good position to take the mark. Um, sometimes when I went into tackle, uh, the ball would spill loose and I could get the ball myself. So my work rate went through the roof and my possessions went through the roof. And uh, quite often I found myself, you know, just through following up and second efforts, found myself in space and I was able to take a bounce. And any time a ruckman takes a bounce, it sort of stands out. Yeah. And um, I just, I, I had a knowing that it was a pretty good year. And, I, and then that just continued on when I got an invitation to, I got an invitation to the Brownlow. So I knew I must have got some votes. Um, but clearly, you don't think you're going to go anywhere near winning it, right? And um, uh, I got really drunk beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm just, if I'm only going to go to one Brownlow medal function i'm gonna drink all the free piss i can right <laughs> and i certainly did that i, I drank as much, as much as i could and then first votes of the night read out and i got the three votes and i'm off my head and i've jumped up out of my seat and knocked the ice bucket over the north melbourne table <laughs> and they weren't impressed because they were playing in the grand final so they were all sober they didn't see the humor in it um but yeah they kept reading my name out and with about three quarters of the way through the night, I'm winning, right? With my best games to come. I, I had about half a dozen games that arguably, in the uh, history will say I only polled in one or two of them. But if I had a polled in the ones that I thought uh, I should have, um, yeah, I would have won it easily. And uh, and anyway, Wolsey, Wolsey, we get half, like three quarters of the way through, I'm leading the count. And Wolsey hands me a pen. He said, son, you better write something down. You can win this. And, you know, it's really interesting, Chris. In that moment, like I sobered up. It was like uh, smelling salts. You yeah, know? instantaneous. Gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gravity of what he said uh, just put me into an altered state. It, um, you know, I started thinking about all the hard work and the training I did as a kid and you know, all the extras that you do, you know, the gym work and the, you know, going for a kick on the off nights of training and, you know, all the things that dad, you know, did. And I started to get all emotional. And, you know, in that moment, um, I actually, I did win it in my head, you know, like it was an actual reality. And, um, you know, history says I didn't, I didn't win it, but, um, you know, it was a pretty exciting night. And after the count, it was like I did win it, you know, like it was, uh, uh, you know, it was um, it was so exciting. We went to an after party at the casino afterwards, and every sports star in the land was there. And the awesome foursome were there. And James Tonkins comes up and he wants to get a photo with me. And I'm like, "How does this guy know me?" And he goes, oh, "He's nearly won it." And blah blah. And I'm, you know, it was so surreal. It was just so amazing. And uh, I, uh, uh, you know, it was just such a spectacular night. And um, I remember uh, just thinking, life doesn't get any better than this. 
And if you had to out the teammates who took votes off you in the games that you reckon you should have got them, <laughs> who are you pointing the finger at? Who took the votes? Mm, no, not so much my own teammates. Um, not so much my own teammates. I, I, I would never say that, but I would say there was a game where, well, there were two games in particular um, in the in that last third where um, I actually thought they were my best games or, or equal to my best games. And there was one against uh, Frio where we won and I played against uh, Daniel Bandy. And he was my bitch, man. Like, I <laughs> took him apart. I dominated. Kicked, I, I think I kicked the goal. I had 10 marks and 25 touches and a couple of bounces. And generally, the, the games where I had a bounce, you know, like I, I, I got votes. Yep. Um, uh, and I had two runs, two extended runs, and I thought, oh, wow, I've surely got to... Because I manhandled this kid, right? <laughs> and Bandy got the votes. Oh, like, no. Are you kidding me? Like, that is so parochial. And those... Back then, the, the umpires didn't travel, so they had local Western Australian oh, umpires. Oh, there we go. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's so fucking rigged. Like, like it was, it was bullshit. Daniel, how could they get that so wrong? You know, like, I dominated him, and we won. Right, and he got the three votes. It was so bullshit. Probably lucky and you then, sobered up before that one was read out, because you might have just unleashed <laughs> and uh, flipped the table. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the way I was heading, <laughs> and um, and then the other game, I thought uh, I we were playing Hawthorne, and Paul Salmon had come into that game against us in really good form. I think he had like about four best on grounds, and uh, and it stopped against me. I took him apart, like I. Like, I, I played really well against him, shut him out. And actually, even as an exclamation point, almost, it was almost like, um, what's the word? It was like emblematic of the game that I was having against him in one of the, I think, halfway through the last quarter or early in the last quarter, we went up for a ruck contest and I came down and my elbow split him right down the head and, and he had to go off with the blood rule and he didn't come back on. And... It was just like, <clears throat> fuck you, you know, like, and, uh, and I, I just had, and, and like in those games, I got the maximum votes in the best and fairest um, yep. for the club. And I, I just thought they were, they were for degree of difficulty, um, you know, but obviously the umpires don't take that into account. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. It was really exciting. And, um, you know, it was something I look back on really fondly. Absolutely, yeah. I can imagine that would have been a cracking night and after party. Um, so you had to retire due to it was a hip injury, wasn't it? That um, yeah, in the end it was got yeah. you in the end. Yeah. So what happened there? How bad was it? And has it still affected you in life after footy? Uh, it di- yeah. Well, <laughs> look, um, yeah, it happened so quickly. Um, I had a degenerative condition in my hip. Nowadays, uh, uh, Matthew Cruiser had the same injury. Um, and then he just had a scrape, um, a reshaping of the uh, of the hip joint, and he was well. He's still playing now, and so if that technology had been perfected, I, I might have been able to, you know, get that. Um, but it shut me down, and, and basically my my right hip was like a lump of bone. There was no, uh, it was so painful. It was yeah. like um, they call it a stiletto heel effect. So if you can imagine like this sharp pin going into your hip. Um, that's what the pain was like. And um, I was really pet that they had a Birmingham joint resurfacing procedure that I wasn't, um, the technology and the materials that they were using weren't really uh, 
built for longevity at the time, and I was really petrified of having the operation. So for a decade, I put up with it, and it was soul-destroying. You know, the pain every day was just sapping my uh, sapping the life of uh, of me out of it, and um, it got to the point where I had to uh, had to get something done about it. And by then, the materials got a lot better, yeah. and uh, still got it today. And I, I actually so I went back to playing elite level baseball, and and um, I actually went back to playing Super Fools. <laughs> oh, how'd you go? Yeah, well, uh, funny story. Um, Funny story. Uh, my first game, uh, so my mate sort of sucked me, sucked me in to come down to the Williamstown uh, Super Rules team, and I started training with them. and And my, I was feeling great. My hip was fantastic, and I thought, oh, "Fuck it, I'll play." And uh, first game, I'm thinking, you know, I'm Justin Charles. I'll kick eight. You know, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm you know nearly forty, right? And I'm playing against guys that are just 35 right oh yep and and yeah they just come out of division one footy and really athletic and i could i barely got a touch (laughs) four four kicks for the day and it was really humiliating and in super rules as you you may or may not know you play every second week to give you a chance that's right yeah and so i used that fortnight to i went rocky balboa style man i I got into my (laughs) running program and got really fit um, and then I was right after that. I came runner up in the goal kicking and, and missed four games. So uh, runner up in the goal kicking in the comp, and yeah. So I corrected the ledger. <laughs> That's a successful return, then. Very good. Yeah, but uh, my arrogance to think I'll just rock up and I'll just kick eight. You know, <laughs> uh, I was really, um, I was really humbled early and often. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then stupidly, the next year um, I got really fit. I had a full preseason. I got really fair income i was i was gonna really have a crack at it and um last practice game before the season started a guy low bridged me uh it was basically an assault and uh way off the ball and um needed a acl reconstruction so that was the end of my footy career i made my whole footy career without a a knee reconstruction and then playing fucking idiot old man's footy you get done so yeah but oh, it's great. I, I have no lasting effects on that, and uh, my hip's fantastic. And oh, it's good. Good, yeah. And you're obviously still a passionate Tiger supporter, as you, as you mentioned early on. Um, and a lot of <laughs> us, have, yeah, <laughs> probably some of the tweets that get fired off. A lot of us have started to cotton on to. So before we go any further, please, if you're listening and you don't already follow Justin Charles on Twitter, make sure you follow him. He comes out with some corkers. So he's at Charles 15 <laughs> Uh, well, if you follow me, you'll see me. I've tagged him on, on the interview as well. So make sure you follow him. Before we get stuck into the, the actual footy talk, I do want to talk about some of the, maybe more of the topics, I guess, that uh, you've tweeted about recently because <laughs> there's been some absolute belters we spoke about today. Just your, your general thoughts on Chris Scott uh, and the GMHBA Stadium uh, issue not having a home final there? Yeah, I really enjoyed our chat today. Uh, <laughs> Chris Scott, look, you know what? Um... I really respect him, what him and his brother have done in their footy careers as players. Um, and it's a hard gig to coach. Uh, but, geez, you know, the way they talk, um, they're the biggest victim. They've got the biggest victim mentality of all time. And every time they open their mouth, it, it just seems like a whinge. Yep. You know, like they seem to be whinging about everything. And, well, now uh, he starts his 
comments off by saying, oh, if you're not a Geelong supporter, this will sound like I'm whinging. So right. He's actually right. acknowledging it and saying right. that up front. Right, right, right. And, and Chris, he, here's a note for you. Here's a memo. You are whinging. And to your <laughs> own team, it sounds like you're whinging too. And, you know, just I, I just really feel it's irresponsible the way he speaks about this home final thing. I mean, there's a time and a place... And I feel after, you know, in the off-season uh, and the pre-season is a time to talk about those things. When you bring up those things like, oh, we deserve a home final, well, that might be true, right? But what you're doing is you're planting a negative psychological impact in on your players, whether you like it or not, by, the, by, the, by your words, saying, and, that, and the narrative is that you can't win at the MCG or that Richmond have the advantage at the MCG or whoever has got the advantage at the MCG, which by definition means you've got the disadvantage. Yes. So that's how it works. So he, he speaks in a way that he completely disregards the power of the subconscious mind and the power of people in authority's words, which he's in authority by being the coach. He's the most authority authoritative voice at the club. And if you... Contrast that with how Dimmer and, and the leaders at Richmond speak about everything. You know, their, their motto, their credence is anyone, anywhere, anytime, right? We saw when Richmond were going to be made to wear their away jumpers in their first grand final in a long time, or, you know, and all the drama was off field. It was never with the club, it was never with the playing group. And Dimmer was like, well, we'll play in Hessian bags. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what we wear. Right, and the players took that on, and they came out, and and you know, when that communication is coming down from the top, that's the communication that's reflected across, you know, the the rank and file of the troops, and I just feel it's really irresponsible because he's planning negative uh, connotations into his into his uh, team's heads, and for him to come out and say, oh, well, that's if they're you know if they're mentally fragile, you know, um, well, no, it's not. Consciously, they don't accept it, right? Of course, consciously, no one accepts the negative. But that's not what rules your performance. Your subconscious mind is what rules your performance. And your subconscious mind is like a seven-year-old boy or girl, if you were a boy or girl, right? (laughs) So so it's this really naive, uh, you've got to be really careful and you've got to filter all the information that goes into your subconscious mind. Otherwise, it can affect it negatively. And you watch, mark my words, and I've said it, I've tweeted it, it's on record, I believe Chris Scott has negatively impacted his team. They'll go out in straight sets. I'm with you on that. And like I said to you today, my Geelong supporting mate agrees that his comment is going to have a completely negative effect on uh, the way the Cats play. And it's going to be no one else to blame but him. But uh, that's for them to deal with, I guess. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And fuck them. You know, like if... (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Like, and, and, and I try not to engage, uh, if you notice, um, I'll fire off these outrageous thoughts and comments, you know, <laughs> about what I think. You know, Twitter's such a good medium for me because I'll just say what I feel in the moment when I feel it. And, like, I'll read the paper in the mornings and generally I'll fire off a few tweets about what I read in the paper. Um, and I try not to engage anyone but the Richmond people and uh, and the people that are my followers. Um you know, just to stay away from any negativity. But aren't the Geelong fans feral? Oh, they're, they're kicking off. Oh, my God. They are the most feral. Like, seriously, the queue, 
it's Centrelink, and uh, you know, like what happens when their, you know, their supply of dope runs out. You know, seriously, they are they are the most feral of feral supporters of all time. And I know every team's got their feral supporters. It just seems like you know Geelong is right up there. The, and the, the best thing about uh, Hawthorne beating West Coast is all this is now deflected to Collingwood. We've now been able to sort of handball all these arguments off to the past. Right. So that's that's worked right. out well for us. Well, look, you know what? That in actual fact, I mean, how good, like how things have worked out has just been so glorious. And I really feel we're just so lucky that you you know we've got such a team to be uh, in admiration of at the moment, and and to you know, to, to really adore at the moment because, um, you know, we just give the minimum the minimum leverage on other teams and, and we've done the right thing. All we've done is just worry about winning and the cards have fallen our way, I, I believe, I, because it, it goes to show that we'll go up to Brisbane and and we'll carve up Brisbane. We will carve, mark my words, we'll beat them by 36 points, right? I like it. And Yeah, we will, right? We will. Because our guys have in their head anywhere, anyone, any time doesn't matter, right? So they'll go up there and they'll smash them. And then what are these nutbag Geelong supporters going to say? Because they're going to get, they're going to lose to Collingwood, and they're going to go, "Oh, see, we should have got a home final." And it's going to be a completely off-topic narrative, and it's going to drag them down, and and that'll carry over into their second game while we're resting and watching these clowns beat each other up. Um, so it's it's really good how the cards are fall. I'm so glad that it, it didn't fall on us, um, and we get to prove. You know, we get to prove not only. To, I, I can't believe I'm even saying this that we we have to prove this to our own supporters because surely if you can see over the last three years we have been the best team by a mile, right? Yeah. Our system is just extraordinary, uh, and our consistency is just amazing. Um, you know. We'll go up there and we'll smash them, and the footy world will just be in admiration. You know, I don't know. They seem to hate us, the footy world. It's all. That's a good thing, I think. It's, it's actually good to be hated again instead of being pitied. <laughs> uh, look, um, it is what it is. I, I just, and that's why I don't engage anyone else outside of uh, outside of my uh, followers and Richmond people, is because um, you know. Fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Absolutely. them. Absolutely. You know, enough to worry about. Let's just... I'm taking a leaf out of our own super club, you know, motto and just worry about what I can control and, and I interact with who I want to interact with and not worry about the clowns, you know, so... That's nah, fair enough. Mm. Uh, now, did you happen to catch the VFL qualifying final on the weekend? It was an extraordinary game. Richmond 15-10-100 defeated Essendon 15-8-98 by two points. The catch being, we were losing by 40 points at three-quarter time. Look, I read all the reports and uh, I, I actually didn't see it because uh, I actually, you know, being uh, being Father's Day I, I, uh, or Father's Day weekend, um, you know, we, we would I was doing baseball activities and and uh, and daddy daddy duties, so I actually didn't see uh, how the boys went, but I believe it was just remarkable. I believe uh, Nank really turned it on and. Yeah, he and did. Alion Pickett played exceptionally well as well. He took that really courageous mark, but I believe he 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 really played well and put his hand up for selection. So, you know, it, the, the the health of the club across the board right now is just spectacular. It's you know to have so many players playing well uh, and pushing for selection is just the sign of the health of a club. 
yeah, I mean, even like the, going through the goal kickers, Dan Butler kicked four, Chol kicked two, Pickett two, Menadju two, Townsend, Nankervis, Moore, Coleman, Jones and Arts got one each. So Ooh, they're all putting their hand great. up and making a case to, to play senior football. Maybe it's left around a little bit too late because it's probably a bit trickier to overturn a side. But, um, I mean, they're doing everything they can possible. So... It was just it was I watched the last quarter and it was just extraordinary. I mean, Nankervis got a free kick with about nine seconds to go, kicked the goal, and that was the first time we hit the lead all day. So it just comes back to what we sort of touched on before: the mentality of the club as a whole, not just at the AFL level, but all the VFL guys. It's filtering all the way down, like you've said, and they never, you know, say die attitude. It was just remarkable. It's extraordinary, and and you know what I love, and this is this is where the character uh, component comes in. When, um, you know, you've probably got 30 guys you could select and there's only 22 spots, um, but they're all still, no one's dropped their bundle. And, uh, you know, you look at Dan Butler, like poor guy, premiership hero, um, finds himself out of the rotation and, uh, and comes up with a performance like that. I mean, what more can you ask? Um, it's, it's just... Uh, like I, I can't, I can't speak with enough superlatives about you know the energy that's being created at the club, um, you know what McRae's done with those boys and how how our development um, coaches have developed our guys and, and and have just really stuck to a to a plan, and um, and the guys have really bought into it, and uh, you know we we see that, you know that uh, never say die attitude and, and get over the line. All the boys that I interviewed through the year, coming through the twos, always said Essendon were going to be a danger team and they uh, they took care of them three times. So, no, it's an extraordinary which, effort. So to hit the prelim, and I think the one thing that always amazes me with how our VFL team's going is middle of the year, obviously our AFL injuries were quite large. So a lot of these boys were all up playing seniors. So to then be able to replenish the stock in the VFL, keep winning and maintain top spot. It, yeah, it's unbelievable. So full credit to the VFL boys, a well-deserved week off and they're into the prelim. But uh, the AFL boys are, have got Brisbane again up at the up at the Gabba, as we spoke about before. Just as a, a quick fun fact, the last time they beat us at the Gabba was round 14 in 2004. So we've won the last eight games in a row. And I mean, obviously the Lions weren't as good as they are now back then, but the same can be said for us as well. We've come a long way too. That's right. And what I love, um, do you know how hard it is to do what, what Richmond are doing? Because it's AFL footy. It's not, you know, it's not WRFL, you know, Deer Park versus Yarraville. It's, this is the most, the most scrutinized on a week-to-week basis. And you've got teams of coaches breaking your game down and trying to, trying to find weaknesses in your armor. And yet week after week after week, we continue to overcome and uh, and find ways to win. We were really tested with the West Coast that came over and they gave us their best punch and uh, put seven goals into us in that first quarter in the dry and questions were asked. Um, the coaching staff were able to identify what they were doing to break us down. They came up with a solution and by quarter time, we're able to relay that information to the players. Then the players were able to take that information and actually execute what the new plan was. And we just ground them into the ground. We, we erased uh, the lead. So basically, 
eliminated their advantage from that first quarter. Um, basically, the West Coast did to us what we normally do to other teams, right? Yeah. And, and normally, we break the back when that happens to other teams. But we were able to not only overcome, but go on and win um, in both wet and dry conditions. So that is just extraordinary, man. So, of course, we've developed and, and out, we continue to evolve. So. And, what, and what about the Brisbane game round 23? They obviously come down and while some people will say they didn't have anything to play for, they did. They want to keep winning as well. They want to win on the MCG and prove to themselves that they can do it in the venue where they're going to have to win a grand final if they happen to make it. Do, do you reckon they threw a few punches at us as well? And I mean, I felt like we controlled a lot of that game. I mean, we won by 27 points. Um, but I think the most important thing I took out of that game is we kept Brisbane to 55 points, which is their lowest score for the year. Um, it went, it went exactly how every other game goes when we've got our full complement. And we spoke about this today. Um, the pattern is that we played this high energy, uh, turnover inducing style and we get it inside 50 and then we kick goals. Um, and then we put so much pressure on when you get the footy in our forward line that you end up having to kick it long and we're set up so that you... You know, you kick to a, a marking contest where we've got an out number, and generally <laughs> it's Grimes or Vlosten. <laughs> yeah, could, yeah, they're exceptional. Yeah, they've just been, but also they're a product of the system too. Make no mistake. You know, they're cashing in on a system. Would they be able to do that at other clubs? Who knows? Maybe not because they're not as well set up. So don't end, underestimate the system. You know, Did the you system. Find it- interesting that we had no tackles in our Ford 50 in that game I mean for that's kind of our one wood and it was I know we took a lot of marks inside 50 but I, I found that stat really interesting um once again stats are deceiving like the pressure was the pressure was hot you know they know so this is what happens when you're the number one pressure team in the forward line you become aware of it and hypersensitive so what happens is the chasing was there it's just the tackles weren't right so the pressure was there the chasing was there and they were just getting rid of the football before uh, they were getting tackled. Now, what did that result in? Exactly how we want to play. You turn it. They turned. How many times did they kick it to an out number to either Vlosten or Grimes or one of our tall forwards that marked it and, and kicked it straight back? So, you know, that's where stats can be deceiving. I mean, I know you were there. You saw it. I mean, really, we dominated that game. For we dominated that game. Yeah, I, I felt like there was a, a lot of time in our fourth half just with those repeat entries yeah yeah we dominate we dominated the game we denied them we denied them possession um you know they had a couple of guys that got high possessions but that's okay that's okay if you've if you've got two guys i tweeted this today if you've got two guys getting 90 possessions that's great <laughs> and where are you getting them too so they were you know the question is do you send someone to Lockie neal well i say why would you change but like he, he he wasn't a factor. Agree. So, I, I not not at any point during that game did I think shit. We need to send someone to Lockie Neal. He's hurting us. Not once. That's right. That's right. And so I I, I certainly didn't think that. I I felt uh, we dominated. Um, and uh, you, you know I, I just I, I just didn't see it any other way. I, I so but regarding the stats and the the tackling stats, I mean. You know, the pressure was extraordinary in, in, in our forward line from our forwards. It, it was really, really good. And we saw that. How I, I think the reflection of our forward pressure was not the tackles. It was the turnovers. So that's a more accurate reflection of, of the pressure. Yeah, that's but a fair it, call. 
yeah, and, and it is it is unusual not to have a tackle, but um, you know, let's be honest. If it becomes a focus, you know, of course they're going to, you know, you're coming up against Richmond and you're conscious that shit they're going to tackle us in the, you know, in, in our back line. Well, let's get rid of it. Let's be conscious that we're getting rid of it, and then so the pressure goes up, uh, and and then you know we see, we see it as turnovers. So. And what about uh, from one ruckman watching another ruckman in Big Ivan Soldo? You must be super proud of how far he's come, given his limited knowledge and exposure to the to the game. I thought he did an exceptional job on Steph Martin, who I think is one of the best ruckmen in the comp. Look, I I think he's had uh, he's come so far in this season alone. Like he's had sort of, I mean, you can really look at it. When he came in, um, he was good, but where he's at right now. Um, you know they've clearly they've had a word to him and uh, and and to be you know super aggressive. He's a great athlete. Um, I think the Richmond culture really is helping him blossom. He's becoming more of himself, which is what Richmond celebrate and and really encourage. Um, he's only a kid. He's only like early twenties. He's only what twenty two or twenty two, I think. Like yeah, in, real young. In, well, he's not going to hit... Have a look at how good he is now, right? He's not going to hit his peak for another four years. So, you know, I mean, touch wood, touch wood injuries, you know, that he has a good run with injuries. But uh, if he, his body stays intact, he's going to be a dominant, dominant force, you know, when he, when he starts to... When he feels out and he gets his adult strength. And, you know, big blokes are notorious to develop late. So, And he's already got really good coordination for a... 205 centimetre giant. <laughs> He's got a good uh, teacher as well and big in his cousin and bigger uh, Ivan marriage. Of course, yeah. I mean, wasn't he good? I mean, he was... And he was punching above his weight too. 100%, um, yeah. You know, like, he, he's only as tall as me and he... Uh, but, you know, that's um, 190, um, 197, right? So he's around 197, 198. That's short for a ruckman against some of these bean poles and, and Ivan uh, Maric really he was a warrior man absolutely he was a Richmond cult figure and uh, yeah we, we love him to bits and glad he's still at the club now what mm. about some of our other tours we are talking about it early today um, obviously you've got Nan Curvis who had a stellar game who's a chance to come back in Bolter who we probably agreed wasn't a main ruck but can do relief duty and Troll who's a bit of X Factor and you've got pretty high hopes for look uh, look the key factor at across all of those, uh, all of our big guys, is they're, they're babies. They're babies and they're miles off their physical maturity. That's got, I mean, you've got to understand how exciting that is. Um, I, I can't speak enough. Um, you know, it, it's an embarrassment of riches of, of big guys, um, and they're so young. Um, and if we break them down, Nank, so Nank's a premiership ruckman, and he's only 23. So, you know, his best, or 23 or 24, still his best is still a few years away. Um, uh, and he is just a beast. He's just a beast. I mean, when we had him back before he got re-injured, I mean, he just made a difference straight away, I thought. I mean, I, I mm. thought he was fantastic when he, you know, when he came back in. I, I thought he really manhandled, uh, it was the Carlton game, wasn't it, that he came back in. And I, I felt he, he really... Uh, he was a real presence and a really, you know, big body in the contest. And and um, then we moved to, 
we move to let, well, let's say the next one in line and what a season he's had. It was it's been a bit of a breakout for him too with Marbior Chol, and uh, and it, it just goes to show you the Richmond uh, coaching staff are looking at the right things. You know, you look at that, you look at Marbior and Big Marbs. What an athlete! He's still very. He's going to muscle up. He's going to put on you know ten or fifteen kilos of muscle. Um, he's just a baby, and his athletic. His athleticism is just extraordinary. Um, you know, when he gains more understanding of the game and what he can and can't get away with, uh, he's just going to be a goal-kicking. And, and like, he's, he's probably developing uh, a specialty role as that second ruckman specialty uh, and being able to go forward. Um, you know, he's going to be a superstar. I really look forward to him, uh, you know, physically maturing. And then you look at young Noah Bolter. My God. I mean, he excites me, not from a ruck point of view, because he's not a ruckman. Uh, I, I don't see him as a ruckman. I, look, I, I, he competed really well last week and, and really gave it his all. It says a lot about the kid. Um, but really, um, I see him more as a, you know, like a, a ruck rover, if you like. Um, and, and his speed is just blistering. I, I, the more you ruck... I reckon the more it damages your speed. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't risk him in the ruck anymore. I'd just play him off the half forward or on the wing even or on the yeah, ball. But I'd love to see him on the wing. Yeah, or, or, or on the ball and, and just feed him the ball and let him run. You know, yeah. it's just electric. His straight line speed is just electrifying. And he's a good kick. So, you know, and then and then we've got um, uh, Coleman, uh, Coleman yeah. Jones who... who could be anything. He and he's the youngest of the lot, and um, really exciting. Could he could end up being the best out of a lot of them? So yeah, we have a sport for choice, which is good. Oh, it's amazing. It's just amazing, you know. Um, so. Back to the uh, to the Lions. We I think we both had a bit of a giggle about this on Twitter. The thought. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the job that Grimes did on Charlie Cameron? Keeping in <laughs> mind that Cameron had a bit of a, a bitch and a moan to the. Emergency umpire about being held, but the only two photos I've seen are of him having a fistful of Dylan Grimes's jumper. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shut up, Charlie. Just shut the <laughs> fuck up. shut the fuck up. Because you know what? Uh, like, someone tweeted this too that Dylan Grimes is a master backman, right? And there was nothing that he did that uh, that constituted, you know, blocking his run. Uh, all he did was make contact before the ball was coming, right? And you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to have touch on your opponent as long as you're not grabbing them. Yeah. Right. Just he's just not used to that level of concentration and focus and physicality and uh, athleticism that that Grimes brings to the table. I mean, he was just he had his pants pulled down. The only goal he he got, you know, was was that mongrel ball that got kicked in uh, into the forward line and and the bad bounce beat him. Uh, beat. Grimes and uh, he got that easy easy goal but I'll tell you right now Charlie Cameron just shut the fuck up and get the football mate because no one respects pissing and moaning um, you piss and moan to the umpire you're a squealer um, you got beat mate just just put your hand up and just say I got beat fair and square now Absolutely. this is this bringing highlight highlighting uh, highlighting the umpire onto yourself and and hope in hope that you get free kicks well look what I'll say is as long as we get the same down the other end with Tom Lynch and and uh, uh, and Jack Rewalt, well then all's fair because we'll end up we'll we'll get on the right end of the stick of that. We'll, 
you know, if they're going to start calling holding free kicks for what Grimes did, I mean, you know, if it's if it's going to be fair both ways, then then Lynch and Rewalt will will kick six each. Lynch, Lynch got punished for Harris Andrews bumping into him and falling over. He got punished yeah. for being too strong. <laughs> I know. So what I say is, uh, you know, you're really clutching at straws and. Uh, you know, you're beaten before you start if you're pissing and moaning about the umpires, Charlie. So just worry about yourself, kid. You know, just pick your own efforts up and get to where the guys can kick it to you. Um, you know, he was victim of, you know, some great forward pressure on our behalf. The ball was yeah. coming in randomly. And, uh, you know, get your teammates to kick it to you properly, mate. So what changes this week? It's a huge game on Saturday, qualifying final. The first time the Lions have been in a final series for a while. We've obviously been there the last few years. What changes from our game plan perspective to make sure we get the win than what we did in round 23? Or is it just much of the same, just that high-octane pressure, limit their outside run, um, and just let everything do its, do its work? You hit the nail on the head, Chris. Uh, more of the same. I mean, why would you change... We haven't changed... I mean... The, the power and the strength of our group right now is the way that we were able to adapt what we do to what we, you know, what we're up against. We've got a, it's just more of the same, mate. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I think we, we play, we play it how we want to play it, which is, uh, you know, a lot of tackle pressure, um, force them to turn it over, play the game in our forward half put pressure on the ball coming out, intercept mark, and then, you know, just run it forward at all costs. Um, what we're very good at is, um, did you notice how the first goal of the game last, last or the last time we played, you know, they chipped it around? Yeah. And then they had a... I don't know if you noticed, but in that first half, and all through the game, in fact, the only real decent shots they got were from the pockets. Yeah, like, we forced them like, wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... If you're having shots, they're low percentage shots, and they kick some pretty good goals from pretty tight angles. So you you tip your hat there because you can't block everywhere. Yeah. As long as we're getting the ball into the our fifty more than them, and we convert our opportunities. So I tell you, you know what I reckon our biggest Achilles heel is. I'll tell you what our Achilles heel is. Yeah. Or where where we're going to come unstuck, if anything, it's not it's not what Brisbane or any team in the eight's going to do to us. It's our fucking goal kicking. Oh. <laughs> The so, old bad kicking is bad football. Look, Chris, I've got to say, mate, if, if we don't improve our set shots, right, that'll bring us undone. And I yeah. think that it's, that's our real kryptonite at the moment. It's not anything that Brisbane are going to do. It's not anything any other team or the umpires or whatever. And how good, how good is that to have your Achilles heel or, or, the, or your biggest weakness purely under your control? I mean, yeah. I think if we kick straight... You know, no one will beat us. There's been a few times where I thought that, like, even the West Coast and Brisbane games, if we had a kick straight, we could have been six, seven goals ahead. You look at, I mean, you don't want to single out blokes, but some of the around the corner shots from Castagna, it's like, mate, you're on like a 15 degree angle, just kick a drop punt. But he obviously feels confident doing it a certain way. But I'm with you. That's been my big bugbear all year is our goal kicking. Yeah, we shore that up. We know we're going to get 50 plus inside 50s each game just, just by the design of how our game plan works. Yeah, that's right. And and it, and then, and you know what? It, it kind of, <laughs> my good mate and teammate, Matty Richardson, I, I always felt he and I, our, our approach to goal kicking was 
indicative of our standing in the game. <laughs> so I was just a hack getting one or two shots a game. So I got to make sure that I take care of every shot, right? And so therefore my percentage was very high, right? Yep. Rich will have 12 shots rolling out of bed. So he doesn't expect <laughs> every shot because he knows he's going to get another seven shots, right? And so he's very flippant with his goal kicking and really didn't have to focus or concentrate as hard as I did. <laughs> and I think, you know, because we get it inside 50 so often, you know, that the tendency is to take for granted. They just think, and, oh, the next chance will come soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, no big deal. And and we've got such a, a victimless, you know, in control responsibility attitude that it doesn't it doesn't phase anyone you know like mm. if they miss a shot they just brush it off which i think works for us on some levels but i think we've got to put a price on on missing more you know like yeah uh, you know a, a price on those those gettable ones and that west coast game we could have buried a man like that was a 60 point win gone begging um in a season where percentages mean a lot it could have been the difference between us playing at the Gabba or playing at the G this week. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. So, um, I, look, I, I really feel the only thing we need to change in our game plan is our accuracy for goal. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with that's you. Everything else, same, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's just how I feel. I think exactly what you said, um, our, our game plan provides for a lot of opportunities forward mm. well don't just take that for granted make sure that we nail all our shots and i think that's where our our uh, our improvement's gonna be you know and so. in terms of possible changes this is right in your sweet spot again because the the most talked about change or potential change is going to be does nankervis come in and ruck with mm-hmm. soldo or do we keep a bolter or troll with soldo i mean i think personally you can't drop soldo now because he wins those ruck contests which with the new 666 rule um, gives us a distinct advantage. I mean, that first quarter, Jack doesn't get three of those goals if that rule wasn't in place and Soldo wasn't rucking because Nank just doesn't have that height. But you play Nank as a backup ruckman and he's got a, Steph Martin's got to battle against them two all day. Nank can go forward. He can fill a hole down back. Is it possible to play them both in the same side or do we lose too much at ground level? I think, and it's really interesting, it's, it's going to be fascinating which way they go. I think they'll go, if Nank's right, if Nank's ready to go, he plays. Yep. He's a premiership ruckman, uh, big body, um, you know, a real presence. I, I'm playing him if he's fit. And, he comes and out. Soldo, no, no, and Soldo plays as well. Soldo plays, yep. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, the young Noah uh, gets the bullet. Or, well, look... And I'm big on this, and we spoke about it today. There's going to come a time, and it may not be right now. Well, certainly it's not right now. It'll come when when the kids get more experience and you know, more more body strength and understand their games a bit better. But I think there'll be there'll come a time where we will be able to play uh, in certain conditions. You know, the hard, dry conditions particularly in September, and I think it'll be an advantage where you can play Nank and Soldo as Ruckman. Chol becomes like a third tall, but because he's so athletic and he can run, um, he provides a third prong up there, a marking target up there. So then all of a sudden, you know, you've got the ability to just bomb the ball in there and you've got tall timbers everywhere. that Because you, 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 you can't play, you can't cover all those. No. And then, 
and then you play uh, Noah off a half back or you know on ball uh, as that's you know lightning fast tall as well that can mark and and do all those things at ground level um, you know obviously it's not now but um, you know that that's going to be an exciting future I, I, and I can certainly see that happening and that would it'll destroy teams because height is is a, a commodity at AFL mm. it's really valuable um, yeah so I think I think Noah will come out um, and through no fault I mean he he, he did fine it's yeah. not that he bad it's just that um, you know you know 25 into 22 doesn't go no, it's just a, it's a team balance thing, isn't it? And the, I mean, yep. the only thing that scares me is that we haven't actually seen the Soldo and then Curvis combo work prior to what could potentially be this first final. But uh, I think it's got merit. I, I must admit, early in early days, I didn't think it could work because of the speed factor and the impacts. But unfortunately, Bolter and Troll probably don't get those high possession numbers or take those big marks. Whereas we know Nate's probably going to be good for five or six marks, whether it's filling a hole or around the ground whatever it might be, and he'll still lay the tackles. He, he loves to crunch people. Oh, he does. He does. And and Soldo is not the same player before the start of the season. Yeah, I agree. So so he, he's, he's developed and he's evolved uh, to the point where he is the legit heir to the throne, you know? Like, he is, he is legit. He is legit, and, and he's got to play. I think they both have to play if they're fit. Yeah, I agree. And I really hope that uh, Nate does pull up okay. Right, before we let you go, I do want to give a shout-out that uh, we sold out our 14,000 ticket allocation, if reports are to be believed. And I know you were a big pusher last week to try and get a big crowd to the to the MCG game. We got over 70,000, which was a massive, massive effort. Um, and it's really good to see the Tiger fans have uh, purchased all their tickets. And if we can somehow create a 50-50 atmosphere, that's going to be a huge thing for the boys. I was so proud. Uh, so proud, uh so proud of, of the Tiger Army uh, really responding to Dimmer's call. Um, I mean, what can I say? There's just so much to love about the club. And, and you've got to understand that the Tiger Army is, uh, is, is the magic. You've got to understand that the supporters... Um, Peggy, Peggy O'Neill wrote a beautiful letter, uh, and she really hit the perfect note. I mean, you... The Tiger Army, every member, every person that gets there in the yellow and black to cheer cheer on the players, you just you electrify the players, and uh, they're, they're they're playing for you, and because of you, you know, um, it's uh, just a spectacular effort. I can't I can't speak volumes enough, and that was a real privilege, you know, coming from the Bulldogs, you know, over to Richmond to experience that firsthand, and. I just fall more in love with the supporter base. You know, the, the more that we go, how we respond to, we respond uh, to the call. You know, when our coach puts out a, a, a request that we go, right, we've got to do it. And, yep. and, and we're the 19th man, you know, like we're that extra man out there for them um, by giving them energy and creating that cauldron. Um, it's intimidating. And, and that's why everyone hates us is because we're able to, we're able to generate that. I mean, were you at the uh, preliminary final in 2017? Yeah, that that was yep. just a really that amazing it, atmosphere. That was extraordinary. I've never seen anything like that, and that's that's what we're capable of bringing to the table. I mean, yeah, WS when they ran out, they just they were showered with this tsunami of booze, <laughs> and uh, it was just incredible. And I, you know, I was 
I couldn't have been. Uh, oh, I was never been so proud to be a tiger that day. What, what um, about the Geelong qualifying final? The first time when the booze went out, that kind of caught ever caught me off guard. But that was just <laughs> magic. Like I suppose in the build up to it and everything, it was yeah, just a typical Tiger Army moment. Typical. I got so many of those. There, there was one where um where we uh, uh where we um do you remember the preliminary final we played at uh, Waverley back in '95? Yep. And we were getting smoked, and uh, the the Geelong supporters started singing their cheer song in the third quarter. Yeah. And then the Richmond, yeah, the Richmond supporters just went, fuck that, and just in unison just drowned them out. And I was playing on Stephen Hanley, and Stephen Hanley turned to me and he goes, man, you got some supporters. I said, you better believe it, man. They're the best. Yeah, you know, I remember being at that game. I was very young, and I, I probably kind of didn't appreciate or understand why we're doing it because, like, in my eyes, I'm like we're getting smashed. What are we doing? But looking back now, you really appreciate how passionate and loyal our supporters are, and how much they care about the players and what they do for us. Oh, yeah. And look, you've got to understand the players feel that the love is right back at you, man. Like seriously, the players just love what what the Tiger Army bring, and you know they're really um, it's it's such a it's such a beautiful symbiotic relationship going on at the moment and always has been, but it's just, you know, we're, we're living through a bit of a golden era, Chris. Yeah. And, uh, just make sure you absorb every minute of it. And I hope everyone of the Tiger Army is absorbing every minute of it um, because uh, these, mo- the, you know, these, these eras and periods don't last forever and uh, you've got to really acknowledge and, and just appreciate when you've got them. Absolutely. No, couldn't have said it any better myself. All right, before we wrap up, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the official Queensland Richmond supporters group. They've got a pre-game function on for anyone travelling up to Brisbane. It's at the Shafton Hotel, I hope I said that right, from 1pm to 6pm on Saturday the 7th. Uh, it's hosted by the Flea. Uh, Dylan Lynch, who's the Queensland Tigers president, will be there speaking as well. There's auctions, uh, badges for sale, merchandise, cold beer, great pub food. Uh, so make sure you get down there. And at 6 o'clock, the Tiger Army is going to do an official march over to the Gabba. It's about a 10 to 15 minute walk. So make sure you get down there and make yourself known. Say hi to a few Tiger fans. It's a $5 cover charge at the door. Kids are free. And if you're a Queensland Tiger member, you're also free. So make That's sure awesome. everyone gets down there and um, really sort of show the city of... Well, show, show all the Brisbane people there that we're here and we mean business. I remember seeing something similar when we played over in Port Adelaide. There was a big march on and... I think they were a bit intimidated by the fact that we had just as many numbers as they did. So if we can do something similar, that'd be good. Now, I hope all the kids are in bed when I say this, but we're going to make sure we go in there like Vikings and we we win the game, we smash them on the field, we drink their beer and root their women. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good note. <laughs> Maybe we can put that on the banner. <laughs> no, we'll see. Our, uh, our banner's too classy for that. It's just our... That's our cheap uh, year 10 dropout Western suburb educated <laughs> Tigers that used to play vernacular. <laughs> that's oh. all me. No, that's, I like it. I like it. <laughs> and uh, before we finish up, what's your final tip, including margin for this big game? Uh, 36 points plus, Chris. I think uh, it'd be more of the same. If we kick straight, it'll be 72 points. Um, I just can't see them. I think... Brisbane, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're focused on, on grimes and umpiring and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of 
they're they're lulling themselves in. That if they think if they got confidence out of what we did to them uh, at the MCG a couple of days ago, they got beaten by five goals, right? Yeah. And and uh, and, and the game was effectively over at half time. So if they're getting confidence from that, good, because it's based on flawed logic. We're going to smash them. Um, I think right now uh, we'll go up there, we'll take the points, we'll drink their beer, root their women, come home, have the week off, and then face whoever we're going to face in the preliminary. Yeah, I'm with you. I reckon uh, if they thought they saw pressure on that MCG game, I think they've got another thing coming. I think our boys know to take you to that next level, and we've got a, a good little habit of putting that pressure meter right off the charts when we have to. So... No doubt the boys will bring the heat. I reckon we'll get up by about 27 points. We tend to hit the high 20s, low 30s, don't we, in the last month or so. But, uh, yeah, we've just got to make sure we're there and we're loud. Yeah, look, the, the pattern is always... That, but Look, the wonderful thing is the game's going to be decided by halftime. Uh, and, and generally, the reason why we've, we drop into the margin of the high 20s is that, you know, in the, in the junk time, the last 10 minutes to go when the game's effectively over... Uh, generally the opposition will get a couple of junk time goals to make the score look pretty respectable. But really, um, you know, the game's, the result's already been decided. So, you know, they can have those. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, look, looking forward to a huge contest. Um, Good on you, Chris. The, the Tigers get the, get, the, uh, get the win and advance to the prelim, we hope. Justin, it's... thanks so much for your time tonight, mate, and your insights. Really appreciate your time. And, um, very, very if, we, if we keep winning, I'd be more than happy to have you back on and talk some more crap about more teams and uh, keep pumping the Tigers' tyres up. No worries. And uh, by then, we'll have a few more controversial tweets out by then to talk about. So <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks heaps again, mate. No worries, Chris. Take care. Thanks. Go Tigers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers!